0: Good morning, how's everybody doing this morning? Oh, y'all are so much more awake than that early service. I had to do it like five times, I was like, hello, can I get a witness? I was like, let's stand up and do jumping jacks, but y'all are already with me. Well, I'm excited to tell you about February 20th, if you will mark your calendars for February 20th, that's a big day, you know what I'm talking about, Jacques? Big day, yeah. Jacques and I have been playing a little tennis lately, and he's been waiting for this moment, And I've been hanging it over his head. He's vicious. He hit me with a tennis ball right here, put a whelp and a bruise. has nothing to do with sermon, but I said one day I'm telling the whole church. There it is. So February 20th, go ahead and mark your calendars. February 20th, that's Serve Shreveport. What is Serve Shreveport? Serve Shreveport is a day where we try to make it as easy as possible, encourage you as a church to serve... serve someone in the city, someone outside your normal sphere of influence, to go outside your uh, comfort zone and and serve someone else. And s- normally what we do is we set up a project for you, with, partner with an organization in town and just give you an opportunity to go and serve. But with all that's going on in COVID and everything, those organizations aren't really comfortable with us doing that this year, coming in and and uh, being uh, intricately involved in their ministries like that. So what we're going to do is just say, go online, register for Serve Shreveport, get the t-shirt, and on February 20th, everybody in our church, serve somebody. And do whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And We're going to see in our text today that I hope the Lord lays someone on your heart. And you just do whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Maybe your next-door neighbor. It may be someone that completely uh, on the inner city it may be someone totally out of your normal uh, routine someone that you have to go out of your way to serve it may be someone in your family that you need to serve and talk to about some things that uh, that you'll see in our text today but I want you to pray about February 20th everybody serving somebody else now why do we do that well we're going to see today that serving others Is at at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It is one of the core ideas of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What do I mean? Well, look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25, as we already had read for us, but it tells us this Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I'll stop there. If someone came up to you today and said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What would you say? Probably something like, well, believe in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and he will, you will be saved. And, and I would say, bingo! If you don't know what you sa- should say, then you need to sign up for the next core class It's going to teach you how to do that. But it's not that complicated, but that's the right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And that that's a gift of God, so no one can boast. So we are saved. We have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. But let's look at how Jesus answers that question. In verse 26, Jesus said to him, well, what's written in your Bible? And how do you read it? Or how do you interpret it? That's basically what Jesus is doing. What's written in the law and how do you read it? Two different questions. And then the lawyer answered it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, bingo. Well, wait a minute. Which is it? Does it put your faith in Jesus, or is it to do all this stuff for your neighbor? Do this, he says, and you will live. Emphasis on do. Emphasis on action. Emphasis on do these Acts of love for your neighbor, love God and love your neighbor, and you'll have eternal life. So which is it? Well, let's try to reconcile those, and then we'll understand what we're what we're looking at. The way the question hits us uh, seems kind of wrong because we think that it's asking. One of two things, either how, how, should I, how am I saved, and if that's the way we understand the question, that we know it's by grace alone, and that's right. But probably more likely what he's asking is not how should I be saved or what should I do to be saved. He's probably asking how shall I live in light of my salvation. How should I live if I believe in the coming eternal life, that I'm going to inherit eternal life then how should I live now? How should I live in light of that eternal life? And Jesus is saying to him, well, what does the scripture say? The scripture says, in summary, love God and love others. That that's what it looks like if you are truly going to inherit eternal life. Jesus has been walking around saying, I'm bringing the kingdom here. And wherever I am, there's the kingdom that he's been doing what? He's been loving others. He's been showing them the kingdom of God through his actions and pointing them to trust in him as the Messiah. So those two are not in contradictory. In other words, James says, faith without works is dead. And so that's very similar to what we see is that he is saying... In asking the questions, if I'm going to inherit eternal life and I'm truly in the kingdom, then how shall I live now? What does it look like to obey the scriptures right now? Jesus says it looks like this. Love God and love your neighbor. Father, I ask for help this morning really understanding this. That what does it mean to love our neighbor as followers of Christ? Help us to understand what that truly means looks like, to love our neighbor as a way of expressing our love of God. Lord, give us ears that truly hear what you teach this morning. Give us eyes that truly see. Give us hearts that we will truly love our neighbors. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So sometimes when you read these questions, you know there's phrases like Jesus says, be ye perfect. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, then you won't inherit the the, the, uh, kingdom of God. And we struggle with those because we know we're not perfect. And there's kind of a couple ways to look at it like, hey... What Jesus is doing is saying he's forcing you to admit your need for grace. Well, that certainly could be going on here and certainly is appropriate understanding that we aren't perfect. We can't perfectly love God and love our neighbor, so we need grace. But I think that what we've seen is the way that Jesus is really interacting with him is he's sincerely saying, I expect you to do what that... Old Testament scripture says, I expect you to love God and love neighbors. And so it seems to be sincerely, how do we do that? And Jesus is going to explain that. And so, like a good rabbi, when the, when the lawyer, which by the way, a lawyer is an expert in the law, and, and is most likely a priest who is off duty. It's kind of like a preacher when he's not on, on, on duty, he's off duty, he's out in the, the the marketplace, and someone says, Hey, tell me something. That's what's going on here. This is a priest who's off duty, and he comes to Jesus as an expert in the law, and he asks this question sincerely, How do I live in in alignment with my claim to be a member of your kingdom? Now, what's interesting is that how Jesus answers. Like any good rabbi, he Answers with more questions. He asks them those two questions: What is written in your law, and how do you read it? How do you interpret that? Now, though I think he's asking the right question, I think this attorney is asking it with the wrong mindset. And the reason I say that is because in the scriptures, where did we say we are right now? We are on a journey to Jerusalem. The scripture said that, and now he has faced. He has set. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. And we're, we're walking with him and we know these very individuals are the ones that are going to hang them on the cross. And so there's a, there's a misunderstanding of scriptures in their minds, in their heart. They know the scriptures, but they're not rightly interpreting the scriptures. And it's going to lead to their crucifying the Savior, Jesus. And so when he asks this question, and it says, particularly Luke says, he's testing Jesus... Now, there's a healthy version of that, of asking to test this one who claims to be the Messiah to understand if he knows what he's talking about. But I think from the context of the text, we know he's he's pridefully exalting himself, and he's challenging Jesus, and he's testing Jesus. So, what do you say about this debate that we're having? Because there's this great scholarly debate among the religious scholars of the day. What does it mean to love your neighbor? How literal do we take that? And so he turns it to Jesus and says, what do you say about that debate? And Jesus turns it back to him and says, well, what does the law say and how do you interpret? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, and soul, in the street and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, as he says that, he looks around the crowd and goes, booyah. Because I got the word memorized. There's this arrogance. There's this pride that, that is just self-righteous. I've answered correctly, and, and what Jesus is doing with this text, or what Luke is doing with this text, is saying, look at the disgusting attitude of this guy, but you know what's interesting? You and I are the ones in the worst, gravest danger of making this same mistake, because we take the Bible seriously. And, this lawyer was an expert in the word. He was a scholar, a priest off duty. They took the Bible seriously, y'all. And, and anytime we take the Bible seriously as we should, we are in danger of making this same mistake of being knowledge puffing us up. And getting self-righteous and thinking we are all that because we've memorized so much of the scripture because we've got scriptures on our mirrors through sticky notes and when you open the coffee cup cabinet there's a scripture verse there and and you know what the bible says and and then preachers are especially vulnerable to pride because knowledge puffs up but love builds up and so we need to hear the warnings of this text don't be like this lawyer, this scholar, this expert in the Word of God. Don't think that just because you know the Bible, that you're righteous. And don't let the debate, like, like these scholars are so excited to talk about what the word means and what the word, how do we interpret this passage and, and all that just puff us up. and then we miss the very essence. We miss the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ because it is absolutely not about knowledge. It's not less than that, but it's so much more and goes so much beyond that. So we've got to guard against this kind of self-righteousness. So then Jesus challenges him and says, you're exactly right. And the dude's like, told you. And then he says, now go do it. Do this, and that will be evidence that you'll have eternal life. Do this now, and that will be the evidence that you will inherit eternal life. Emphasis on do. That's all throughout here. What must I do? Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says to do this. Oh, well, that's good. You got that right. Now go do it. And if you go do it, then you're going to inherit eternal life. So what he's saying is obedience is absolutely required to inherit eternal life. Grace does not negate the necessity of obedience. Grace enables and empowers the obedience. Do this and you will live. Now how do you respond when I say that to you? Make it personal, like it was all week for me. You know the Bible? Good. You know how to have eternal life? Good. You claim to be a follower of Christ? You claim you're going to inherit eternal life? You claim you're going to live eternally with Jesus? Good. Prove it. Show me. Do what you know the Bible says. Obedience is required. How, does, how do you respond when you hear me confront you with that? Do you say, well, well let's look how he responds. Look what he says. All right, you, you know the Bible now. Show me. Do it. Look at Luke 10, 29. How does he respond? But he, the attorney, the lawyer, says, desiring to justify himself, Luke says. Desiring to justify himself. He said to Jesus, well, now, technically, who's my neighbor? Now, who exactly is my neighbor? He said, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself, which means love God, love God all you got, love your neighbor with all you got. And he's like, love God? Yeah, I'm doing that because we can kind of just kind of, it just kind of seems vague. Yeah, I love God. Love neighbor? Yeah, well, wait a minute. Some faces start to pop up. Well, I mean, I'm loving my neighbor because that, technically, that person's not my neighbor. They don't live in St. Charles. You see, that's what he's doing. He is like, in fact, the, the, all the characters that are in this parable we're about to see, and the lawyer, the scholar, the, the, the Bible scholar, the priest, the Levites, they all, in this debate of who my neighbor, they all define it the same way. And it's everyone except the Samaritans. They literally would say it's everyone but the Samaritan. Samaritan is not my neighbor. I'm not obligated to love the Samaritan. The Samaritan fell below the pagan, which they were to love, but they didn't have to love the Samaritan. They had to love each other. They especially were good at loving those who love them and doing good to those who do good them, those who are very religious and inside the religious circle. And we got that. Check, 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 check. But not the Samaritan. But we're good because that's not expected of us. So, Jesus, in this debate about who among those we need to love, what do you, what do you mean when you say love God and love your neighbor? How do you interpret this text? And he says, well, let me tell you a parable. Now, what is the way, What is the purpose of parables? Parables are intentionally designed to draw you into the story so you can't escape. So you can't self-justify. So you can't give yourself a pass. You're drawn into the story. You hear the story. And at the end of this parable, you are confronted with reality. Confronted with the truth. Remember, Nathan did this to David, King David, when he had had... Done atrocious things and had an affair and all this. And Nathan came to said, told this whole little parable and said, Hey, there's this one who had one sheep and he did. And he goes, Yeah, that's terrible. I can't believe he did that. And he says, That's you. And he's like, Oh. And then he responded with repentance. That's what a parable does. It pulls you, not them, you and me into the story and confronts us with the truth. And you hear the parable, but do you really hear the parable? I.e., do you respond with what he's telling us? And that's what Jesus does. So this man said, well, exactly who's my neighbor? Jesus replied in verse 30. He tells the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him dead. Pause there for a minute. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, about, a, about as wide as a footpath. It's not like we think of like a big old road, a wide path. It was like a narrow footpath on the edge of a cliff. And you're walking from Jerusalem, the city and the town, the place of the Jews... Out leaving into the Gentiles people of different ethnicity different race different everything and this is how he chooses to tell the point what does it mean to love your neighbor he doesn't say okay you're at a valentine's dinner with your wife and you have candlelight and then your friend walks by that's not what he says He says you're walking down this road that's a narrow footpath beyond your boundaries out into a completely different zone where you are in grave danger for many reasons. People get robbed on this road. Samaritans kill Jews on this road. Jews would kill Samaritans on this road. If you fall and break your leg, you're going to die because it's a wasteland. There's no water or medical aid anywhere nearby Let me tell you what, this is the scene, this is what it means to love your neighbor. So already, the the legal expert, the Bible scholar is going, oh no, I know where he's going. And he's already thinking about that Samaritan. And then he says, now by chance, verse 31, he continues, as you're walking down this road, and this man was walking down the road... From Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among robbers. He was stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So there's this man on the road, half dead. Verse 31, now by chance a priest. Now that's a top Jewish religious leader. This priest was going down the road. And when he saw him going down the road, oh, he has to step over him. And keeps going. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why would the priest do this? This is what, right here all week in the forehead, hit me. Why would the priest do that? Because that's how he understood the Bible. Because his Bible says... Do not be ceremonially defiled. Have nothing to do with a corpse. And that was defined with this very term. Anyone who is half dead, you will be defiled. Anyone who has wounds, you are defiled. So here is this sincere priest, preacher, taking his path down And he sees a man who is about to die, but he steps over him and keeps on going because he's thinking, I'm serving God. And the dude's about to die. How sick and twisted is that? Hello? Can I get a witness? How sick and twisted is it for someone in the name of being righteous and faithfully serving God to justify not helping someone he sincerely thinks he's serving God because he's read his bible and it says do not touch or you will be defiled Okay, so we're tracking together. Likewise, verse 32, a Levite. That's an assistant to the priest. They helped around the temple. Same understanding. When he came to the place, he saw him, and he did the exact same thing. In the name of religion, he lets the dude die. He leaves him. So both men are obeying the way that they read the word of God and what it meant to them and their interpretation of it. And as a result, they did absolutely nothing to help this poor man who has been beaten and is half dead and has no hope. At this time, the, 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 the scholar, the lawyer is probably thinking, oof. Oof. And then Jesus, he says, oh, well, I'm not done yet. Then he says, now, a third person came by, a Samaritan. And that, that, that scholarly pastor turned his nose up. He's like, they're not even fully human. They're three-fifths human. A Samaritan, as he journeyed by, came to where he was. Now, Ray Vanderlaan, I was listening to him, and he says, and I haven't confirmed this yet, but he's, he knows a whole lot more about the Jewish traditions than I do. He said this Samaritan would have had the same Bible. And read the same text, would know now what it says, but has a different understanding of what it looks like to live it out. So he comes and he knows, I'll be defiled. But what does he do? He had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds. Pouring oil and wine on him. Then he set him on his own own animal. Brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. He saved his life from death. That's the first part. He saved him from death. The second part is. And then the next day. he, He took out two denarii. And he gave it to the innkeeper. And he said take care of them. And whatever you spend. I'll repay you when I come back. That's the second part. He saved this man from a life of indentured servitude to pay off the debt that he had accumulated as he healed in the, the inn. Do You hear what I'm saying? He saved him from death and enslavement. Are you tracking with me? Are you seeing it yet? Now he asked him the question, and he's really asking you. And me the question, now which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? That was the question, right? Who's my neighbor? Tells the story of the three. And now the answer comes back to you with a question. Which of these three proves to be the neighbor? Is it the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Which of the three is the neighbor? One more time. Which of the three is the the neighbor? Right. And that's what he said, right? The lawyer said, look at verse 37. He said, the Samaritan. Nope. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm not even going to say Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him Mercy. With a disgusted look on his face. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. What a masterful teacher Jesus is. Do you see what he's done? So many layers here. The point of the parable is that the Jewish lawyer knows the law but is not fulfilling the law. He can quote it, but he's letting his pride, his prejudice, his self-righteousness redefine the boundaries of obedience. You see, that's what self-righteousness leads to. It leads to self-justification. Self-justification is... I know I'm not fitting the measurement, so I'm going to redefine the ruler. I am loving my neighbor because this is the boundary of the neighbor I am expected to love. And Jesus explodes that boundary. He says, no... I'm going to show you what love looks like. It looks like caring. It looks like doing. It's not sentimentality. It's not feeling. It's active, caring for others like this one cared for this half-dead man. He saved his life and saved him from slavery. But I'm going to take it a whole nother step further, and I'm going to tell you who you've got to do that for. It's your worst enemy. It's the person that you have absolutely written off. It's that father who abused you. It's that mother who abandoned you. It's that friend who stabbed you in the back. It's that person who you have considered three-fifths of a human. It's the person of another economic class. It's that person at work who lied about you. It's that child who hates you and has left you in rebellion. Jesus says, those who claim to be my disciples love them like that. No boundaries. So two implications. What does it mean to love your neighbor with Christ-like love, with gospel love that gives you confidence that you will inherit eternal life? First of all, you are moved by The compassion of Christ. You are moved by compassion. In verse 33, we're told the Samaritan saw him. He knew what it meant. and knew what it was going to cost him. And he was moved by compassion. This is the same thing that moved the prodigal's father. You know the parable of the prodigal's son. The son rebelled from his dad. He went wild. He went crazy. He forfeited. He wasted his inheritance. And he's living like Out there, and finally, his father sees him in the distance, and it says, Moved with compassion, he runs and he embraces that rebellious child and lavishes him with grace. And that's a picture of Christ, Jesus is moved with compassion all throughout the Gospels. It says that he was moved with compassion over the crowds. It was his compassion that moved him to die for you, his enemy, who though while you were sinning against him, Christ died for you. To love like Christ, to love your neighbor, is to be moved by the compassion of Christ because you've tasted his compassion, you've experienced his compassion, you've realized that you don't deserve his grace, and yet he was moved by compassion to die on the cross for you. Yes, you. When you look at this parable, who do you think you are in the parable? The Good Samaritan? You're not. You're the self-righteous. I'm the self-righteous religious one. I'm the man on the side of the road, half dead and enslaved to sin. And Jesus is not the good Samaritan. He's the perfect Samaritan who gives his life to free me from death and enslavement to my sin. And upon that salvation, he fills me with his spirit and he empowers me. He moves me with his compassion to love my neighbor. Can you say the same about yourself? Are you moved by compassion, the compassion of Christ? So first, to love your neighbor means you're moved by the compassion. Second. you're moved beyond boundaries. True gospel love of neighbor moves beyond boundaries, moved by the compassions of Christ. Lawyers question, "Who's my neighbor's an attempt to draw boundaries, to limit, to exclude. And Jesus says, "Oh no." You see, this man was willing to love those who love him. He was willing to do good to those who do good to him. But he didn't want to love the the one who showed mercy, whom I won't even say what he is. And the irony is Jesus uses that very one to show him that's who your neighbor is. And what he did is a model of how you are to love him. Jesus has been very clear in Luke. Luke has been very clear to show Jesus is coming to love the Jews and the Gentiles, the rich and the poor, the privileged and the marginalized. All ethnicities, all races, all economic classes, all who even are considered his enemies... If you say you are in Christ, then you will obey Christ and you will be moved by the compassions of Christ and moved beyond any and all boundaries. And though we've had a year of racial debate and division, I think... We have one even worse, as horrendous as anyone considering anyone less than human because of the color of their skin. As horrendous as that is, we have gotten even further to say that if you are of a different political party, I do not have to love you. And I can tell you why I'm right, because the Bible says to be pro life. Or the Bible says to be pro-immigrant. Are you kidding me? We think this is what Christ calls us to do? In the name of God's word, in the name of, of being faithful to God, both sides are hating each other. Jesus has rescued us from that. Right? Jesus has changed us. Jesus has given us a compassion, his compassion, for the other side. To love them, not with just sentimentality, but to do good for them. At the end of the parable, Jesus said, go and do likewise. And we're not told what he did, but he knew the choice. The mirror had been held up. He had been brought into the story like we have been. And so that leaves us wondering, what did he do? And that leaves us wondering, what will you do? Father God, I pray we will go and do likewise. Lord, show us all our Jericho road, that scary road to go to that person that we have put outside the boundaries of deserving our love. Lord, show each person here that you have commanded them that if you have experienced the love of Christ, then you must go and do likewise. Lord, may we leave this place having been confronted with the truth. May we be changed. May we not be the same. Help us to do what you've called us to do, to be moved by your compassion move beyond all boundaries to love them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Let's stand together. And as we sing this song, let's remind ourselves that, you know, leaving this message, it may feel (laughs) impossible, but it is through Christ in us, and so let's sing this together. Give the